This episode of the Oz Movie Geek podcast is sponsored by Kix. Kix is an online film and television retailer specializing in the latest Sony, Universal, and Paramount films and television shows. You can use the exclusive code OZGEEK15 to receive 15% off your order. Thank you to the wonderful team at Kix. Now to the review. You've got to pick up every stitch. You've got to pick up every stitch. You've got to pick up every stitch. Oh, must be the season of the week. It must be the season of the week. Hello and welcome to yet another Oz Movie Geek Halloween Spooktacular. I'm your host, Pato. And to kick things off this year, I thought I would do a bit more of a discussion podcast and something that I've wanted to talk about for a while. Um, And I thought that this would be a good idea as it sort of gives some of my recommendations as well, which is great um, because if you're listening, you might be like, oh, I want to watch some horror movies this October, but I don't really know what I want to watch. And... That's why I'm here. I'm here to give you the hard truths and also just some of the, you know, uh, honest opinions, I guess, of of some of uh, the films in this category. What we're discussing today is the found footage genre. Now, I'm not going to uh, specifically be talking horror. I'm going to mention a few others, though predominantly we are speaking about a uh, horror-focused genre. Um, But I want to talk about a bit of a timeline, some recommendations, and my overall thoughts of some of these films. Um, I'll I'll go into more detail possibly this year or even in future uh, Halloween spectaculars of some of my picks because there is a lot to delve into um, with a lot of these films. And I feel that the genre does get uh, some undue hate I feel that uh, you can categorize some of these films uh, based on their quality, and uh, definitely quality does um, vary from release to release here. But overall, the genre does offer a lot in terms of, especially horror. It, it feels like it's something that uh, a lot of fans can latch onto in the horror genre because, I mean, when you look at horror as a whole, you can see that you know more of your traditional horror films sort of took a back seat in the early 2010s in particular uh, because films were making just bank um, a lot of these found footage films um, and they were really cheap to make. So we, we saw an overabundance of them in, in a, probably like a four or five year period um, and, and that has since changed and, and there has been a significant drop off in recent years um, in this specific horror subgenre but there is still a lot to like here um and i want to sort of delve into you know what i like about some of these films and and you know when the genre does go awfully wrong why does it go wrong um so yeah look forward to a bit of a discussion here because that's what i want to do i want to give you my recommendations and i want you to participate as well um so you know let me know if any of these recommendations were worth your time 
Um, if you've seen any of them before, then let me know as well. I, I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts. So you can DM me on Instagram uh, or Twitter or Facebook, however you want to message me, or you can email me ozmoviegeek at gmail.com. That's ozmoviegeek at gmail.com. So let's dive into this. Um, and I think it's fair to just note straight off the bat, um, I don't attribute the the success of the found footage genre to Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, you always have that one person in a comment section of anything, whether it's on Reddit, YouTube, you name it. They always go, oh, it's, it's Cannibal Holocaust. That's what kicked this whole thing off. I will agree with you that Hannibal Hannibal <laughs> Holocaust was the first found footage film, but if you're talking about what actually was the you know catalyst behind this movement in the in, in Hollywood, um, it, it wasn't Cannibal Holocaust because it was a 19 year gap between uh, that and when we got the Blair Witch Project, which to me uh, is the first big. Um, horror found footage film and uh, an effective one as well. Uh, it's a film that I've watched countless times. Um, people ask, you know, does it still hold up today? Uh, it does under the right guise. You have to sort of watch it um, noting the fact that it is a product of the 1990s, you know, the camcorder footage, the, um, you know, a, a lot of the the elements that make up the film. But Overall, The Blair Witch Project does still hold a pretty strong place in my heart. It's a film that, you know, um, it's it's all about the subtleties. The, the film is very quiet. Um, it, it relies heavily on your imagination rather than you seeing what everyone is afraid of in the film. And I, I think the psychological element still plays a huge part in the film's rewatchability because... I mean, after the gimmick wears off of, uh, you know, is is this film actually, uh, you know, th- does it have any merit outside of it being a, a one and done kind of thing? And I mean, it, it's it's kind of answered in the fact that the, the sequels, whilst interesting, definitely did not elevate this first film any any further. Um, if anything, the 2016 film by Adam Wingard that was a return to form of the genre, which I'll get to a bit later. Um, it, it really didn't do anything. Uh, it, it was a, a flop at the box office and critically panned, um, which was a bit of a shame because I really liked the filmmaking talents involved with the makeup of that film. But uh, going back to what the directing duo of uh, Daniel Merrick and Eduardo Sanchez did uh, with that film back in 1999, I just feel like they were they were channeling something else. You know, it, it's hard to show that restraint of not showing you things. And I mean, the film was made for next to nothing um, with the directors even returning the camera that they used to film the movie um, that was used. Uh, you, you see it quite frequently in the film too. Um, they returned it afterwards. They rented it and then and returned it straight after. So they didn't even buy their own camera. Um, but the, the ingenuity of making this film and um, the, the craftsmanship on display is is truly admir- admirable, and I feel like it does still hold up. Um, I rewatched it in 2018, so it's been four years since I have rewatched this film. But like I said, this is a film I watched quite heavily as a as a kid because it was something you always heard about. Um, and even when you are still younger, um, you know that there is still that element of is this real? Um, and I really like that about the film. I, I love the shocking ending um, where, you know, we, we, again, we don't really get anything 
Um, but to me, the the you know the scream, seeing um, um, you know the the gentleman standing in the corner, um, you know going back to that that whole uh, you know myth of the Blair Witch, um, you know it, it's just so so creepy and so well crafted, and I I really really like it. Um, some of the performances are a little dated um, and you know are kind of annoying as well. Um, but overall, I feel that, um, you know, that the film is held together by that core premise. And I, I feel like it is a really, really, you know, well-made um, film and, and a testament to the what found footage can be. Um, and, yeah, something I really, really liked. Um, but, yeah, to me, that's the, that's the kickoff. Now, it's a fair gap between that and our next entry I want to talk about. Uh, but it's a notable inclusion in this whole timeline because I, I, I feel like every found footage film that came after the Blair Witch Project definitely still borrowed elements from it, whether it's, you know, the, the jump scare or whether it's the, um, the quiet audio with a bombastic loud noise. Um, depending on what, you know, you, horror, horror films or found footage horror films you watch, there's definitely elements of Blair Witch in all of them, and I, I feel like it's the reason why it's you know it's so prominent and still a mainstay in um in, in popular culture. And in terms of critical response, not a, and, and commercially, it, it's still the most successful in both categories. Um, and I think again, that's just a testament to it. It's the most well-rounded film um, out of this this list in particular. But it, it's also just such a clever. Um, take on on the genre um, and after scream I mean this is sort of what horror was doing it was experimenting and it was trying to do something different um, so then we go to 2007 and we get Oren Pelly's paranormal activity produced by Jason Blum um, now this was a film that um, uh, again I, I feel did spark something in Hollywood again um, the film grossed 107 million dollars off like a fifty thousand dollar budget. Um, which is just insane. But what made this film so big was its viral marketing campaign, which is something I wanted to note as well with The Blair Witch Project. Uh, the film was originally marketed as a um, a true story. Um, this is actual found footage. You know, this shit happened, and this is the, the raw footage that's been put together um, that was found. Um, and Paranormal Activity follows that as well. Um, and the viral marketing definitely did play a huge part in the film. So after the film debuted, it might have been at TIFF. I can't even remember. Um, but after the film did debut, um, it received you know a, a, a huge reception and a bidding war commenced. I think it was Universal, Warner Brothers and Paramount. And eventually Paramount won out here. Um, and the film got a... Uh, theatrical release, very limited at the time. But then what they did was they did a Demand It, um, which you can still see on those original posters. It's in the bottom left-hand corner. Um, but they got audience members to demand it for it to come to their, their city. Um, and this carried on with Paranormal Activity 2 and even 3. But it was interesting when that happened because... Um, you know, people started saying, oh, have you heard about this paranormal activity thing? Let, let's go and check it out. Um, they flirted with the idea, too, of different endings. Um, the alternate ending is actually my favourite cut um, of the film, which sees uh, Katie 
get shot by police officers, um, which is pretty heartbreaking. Um, and it's it's interesting because Mike is still alive in that sequence as well. But I really liked that um, alternate ending, but obviously it doesn't work because we needed sequels, so that's why the other ending was um, was shot and we get the Katie jumping towards the camera at the end of the film, um, obviously possessed. Um, but yeah, Paranormal Activity is, is quite subtle and to be honest, it's not my favourite. I appreciate what this film did, especially with this subgenre, but at the same time, it's treading ground we've already seen before in Blair Witch. And I think that that's part of the problem with a lot of these films is you're like, oh, we've been there, we've done this, you know, what, what else can you offer me? Um, but Paranormal Activity ended up, for me personally, um, reaching new heights with its sequels. Um, the second one I'm not a huge fan of. It amps up in that second act, and I love the idea that the two are happening at the same time, um, the events of Paranormal Activity 1 and Paranormal Activity 2 are you know, happening at the exact same time, which is a really, really cool idea. Um, I just found that it was overly long. It's the longest of the franchise. And it was just really, uh, really slow. But the franchise comes into its own with entries three and four. Um, two films that didn't receive a lot of critical praise. The third one did, but four did definitely didn't. Um, but I, I like them because at the time when I was growing up, these films were released um, every year on Halloween. I, so it was the thing, you know, you go and see these films with a large group of mates uh, opening weekends in a packed cinema and just get scared together, um, which was a lot of fun, uh, especially, um, you know, I wasn't old enough to see Saw uh, at the time so these films only rated m you know it was easy for me to actually get into the cinema to go and see it um, but paranormal activity 3 expands on the mythology a lot more we get some interesting background stuff a deleted scene that has never since been seen and I, i'm i'm curious because we get the collector's edition box set coming out very shortly and i, I would love if that scene was included but um we sort of uh, jump to, um, you know, it's referenced and we don't get the sequence, but um, essentially uh, the, the couple that we're following is uh, Katie um, and her sister as, as kids. Um, and um, we're seeing, you know, where where the activity began kind of thing. And we get some inventive new um, gimmicks in this film. We have the, the um, rotating fan uh, with the camera attached to it, so, which is interesting um, and a bit of fun. Uh, provides some pretty tense sequences. One of the best scares in the film, which is um, just a elongated sequence of um, what we think is Katie wearing as, as a kid, wearing um, you know a, a blanket, trying to scare the babysitter. We have this big build up, and then it finally is just like the deflation of the sheet, um, which is incredibly creepy and just really well done. And because of the silence in the film too, it works really well. Uh, but that's a really good scare. Um, but the film amps up in the third act in particular where um, the scene that I was talking about that's not featured on any of the Blu-rays, which is something that you see in the trailer for the film if you want to go back and look at that. It's not in the director's cut. It's just not in the film. Um, and it's not on the Blu-ray in the special features at all. So that's why I'm curious. It's like, where is this scene? But um, it's a scene that pretty much shows the the childhood home burning down um, that ends them up at the um, their grandmother's house um, and there's just like a witch coven um, and it's incredibly creepy, really well well done and just 15 minutes of just pure terror 
Um, and I, I remember even after watching the film um, and seeing it in the cinemas, like it legitimately just like freaked the hell out of me at the time. Um, I know it's got jump scares in it and I've complained about them before, um, but this film does a bit more to connect you with the characters and you feel like you are a part of this family being terrorised. Um, and it was the one that I was able to connect with the most and probably the one I've seen the most as well. Um, moving on then to 2012 um, and we get Paranormal Activity 4. Another entry I really like, but mainly because it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, this is definitely the lesser entry in the franchise um, in terms of you know um, scares and, and whatnot. But um, it, it started to show that the franchise was sort of reaching its peaks um this film didn't gross as strongly at the box office and in between then too we also had which i failed to mention um we also had a spin-off film uh, paranormal activity the marked ones directed by christopher Landon, um who uh, went on to make happy death day and happy death day to you um and freaky another film i really like um, but yeah, the Mark ones just didn't work for me. But going back to uh, Paranormal Activity Four, I really did like what uh, we were able to see here with some of the characters. So Catherine Nixon makes uh, uh, one of her first film appearances here, um, and she's quite likable. And because I was the same age as these kids when this film came out, I was able to really connect with what was going on because. I was the exact same age. So having the younger protagonist definitely worked for me. And I think that's why I connected with it because on, you know, rewatch, I can see that it's just not as freaky. Um, like I said, it definitely doesn't take itself as seriously. There's a bit of comic relief in it. Um, and the third act is pretty much, you know, exactly what happened in the third act of the, the third film. Um, and at this stage, the mythology and the continuing story of KDM where was... Um, where was Hunter and, and what was going on um, was becoming a bit tired and, and felt very, uh, you know, like it was being thrown in the third act to sort of keep you going. So there was a continuing thread on each of these films, but overall it just felt like it was starting to fall apart. Um, then we get the wrap up of the franchise for now, um, which is paranormal activity, the ghost dimensions, uh, which is easily the worst in the franchise. And that's the marked ones included. Um, I have watched this one a couple of times, including seeing it in 3D in cinemas. Um, but, you know, upon rewatch, this film just doesn't do it for me. Um, it's kind of uh, slow. Um, the gimmick of the camera is really dumb. Um, and overall, I just didn't really enjoy it. Um, it's a wrap-up to this, this core storyline, but it just doesn't really feel like a wrap-up. Like I said, it's quite lazy, um, and, yeah, easily the worst in the franchise. Um, then we jumped to last year, and we got Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, um, which was a film I covered on my podcast last year in the Halloween Spooktacular, so you can go back and listen to that. Um, but, yeah, just uh, another example of, you know, a, a really talented group of people coming together um, and producing something that just didn't really do it for me. Uh, William Eubank directs, uh, who directed the 2020 film Underwater, which I really enjoyed. Um, I was just really disappointed by the film. It has some really neat visuals. The gimmick in this film works a bit better for me. It's the slow-mo. Um, we get some pretty good gore that we haven't really got in any of the previous uh, entries in the franchise. But overall, 
yeah, not a very good entry. Um, but that sort of like is the summary of the Paranormal Activity franchise. And it, it's sort of the the flagship franchise in this whole um, renaissance of the found footage genre, especially in horror. Um, but around that time of uh, Paranormal Activity, there was also Cloverfield, um, another film that was elevated by its wonderful viral marketing campaign, um, which saw, you know, a... a, a essentially a film just arrive in cinemas that people had no idea what it was. Um, No one was expecting a found footage Godzilla type film uh, produced by JJ Abrams and directed by Matt Reeves, which is pretty crazy because Matt Reeves has gone on to direct the planet of the apes films, uh, Dawn and war, not rise. um, And also directed this year's the Batman, which I really enjoyed as well. A very talented filmmaker, but it's funny going back and watching this film and thinking, oh, it's the same dude who ended up going on to direct The Batman. Um, Cloverfield launched a franchise in itself too, um, more anthology films. Uh, this is still remains currently the only found footage film in the three movie franchise so far, uh, but Cloverfield 2 is currently in development. But... Um, if I had to rank in terms of the films that I enjoy the most on this list, uh, Cloverfield's my favourite. Um, it's the film that, it's just a lot of fun. It, it really is a lot of fun. It's just a monster movie. Um, and yeah, the creature design's really cool. I really like the setting. I like the characters. It's a lot of fun. Um, and Matt Reeves is a really good director for this. Um Cloverfield did creep me out the first time I saw it. The first time I did see it was on DVD, uh, renting it from uh, my local Video Easy, RIP Video Easy. Um, but yeah, a film that I, I, I have fond memories of. I now own on 4K. It's a good-looking film still. And yeah, it's it's up there for me. Now moving on to 2012. So jumping a couple years down the track. Now in between here, we had a couple films like The First Grave Encounters, um, uh, you know, like a handful of other horror films um, uh, in, in this subgenre um, with people, you know, starting to flirt with the idea of found footage. But it wasn't until around this 2012 to 2015 period that we just got a glut of a lot of these films. So I want to talk about Chronicle, uh, the 2012 film directed by Josh Trank and written by Max Landis, launching the careers of the likes of Michael B. Jordan, Dane DeHaan, um, and, uh, you know, a, a talented director in Josh Trank. Um, a film that I feel uses found footage as a gimmick because the film could exist easily without the idea of the found footage element. Um, and I think that the film works on the same level, but what elevates it a little more is the idea of this found footage, um, you know, that we've got... Um, you know, like a diary almost of, of these kids um, getting superpowers and then learning how to use these superpowers and a villain origin story with Dane DeHaan's character, a kid that's severely bullied and just, um, you know, ha- has a tough time in his in his home life as well, um, gets superpowers and he turns into a villain. Um, what the doesn't work for me in this film is the use of some of the camera angles because... You know, the the movie critic part of my brain can't turn off in some of these sequences and I keep thinking, how the hell do they get that angle? Um, How is the camera still on in this circumstance? Which is another thing that's wrong with a lot of found footage films is why does the camera not get turned off in any of these sequences? 
Um, but what Chronicle does well is the way that it develops its characters. I think if you're looking for a found footage film, um, you know, that's not horror, it doesn't have any elements of horror, um, some elements of science fiction and definitely the superhero genre, but definitely not horror. Um, I feel that this is probably the most different and unique entry in my list here of films that I'm talking about, but it's a film that I feel, you know, that there is a lot to like, but overall, um, yeah, it, it's one on upon re-watching um, that I, I appreciate a bit more than when I first saw it. I remember being a bit frustrated when I first saw it and um, subsequent re-watches have definitely elevated it for me. And a lot of that is due to the talented directing. Uh, Josh Trank uh, kicks it out of the park here. Um, it's a shame that, you know, Fant Stick happened. Um, and if you remember, I kind of like Capone. I know a lot of people hated that movie, but I kind of liked it. Um, so I'm a fan of Josh Trank and, you know, Max Landis. We won't talk about him. Um, but, yeah, overall, this, this is a interesting film. Um, and if you're looking for something a little different in the genre, then this is up there. Um, in the same year, we got a film by the name of Project X, which I actually re-watched not too long ago in preparation for doing this discussion. Now, Project X was amping off the success of The Hangover as it was produced by Todd Phillips um, and directed by Nima uh, Nurizada, um, who also... Um, who also, um, you know, was, I guess, working his way up in Hollywood at the time, um, teaming up with Max Landis, who I previously mentioned in Chronicle, um, directing American Ultra. But uh, the film um, was aping off that success of The Hangover. Todd Phillips had a lot of clout in Hollywood at that time. Uh, if you remember, 21 Over also came out very, very similar times, directed by... Um, sorry, written by the the duo who uh, wrote The Hangover and directed by them too. Um, but yeah, that, that Hangover brand, um, it was a brand there for a couple of years in Hollywood. Those films made so much money um, and Project X was definitely amping um, off that, that success. Um, but, um, you know, employing that found footage style to the film um, and using, you know, that frat boy, um, you know, um, high school humour, um, to, you know, get that younger audience involved. But this is a film, to me, it d definitely doesn't hold up. A lot of the humour doesn't work. Um, it is nearly devoid of humour. There's no genuine setups for jokes. It's very mean-spirited. Uh, has a lot of that um, making fun of someone's appearance, um, you know, making fun of someone's uh disability there's a couple of disability jokes as well um and it's not laughing with these characters it's blatantly making fun of them which is something i've always had an issue with in comedy but it's quite blatant uh in this film um what's interesting in this film is our, our trio of characters which are clearly especially the costa character is clearly trying to be seth um jonah hill's character from Superbad. And it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work. He is so grating and so annoying, so inconsiderate, um, and just a real scumbag. Um, the the lack of uh, acknowledgement of what these guys get up to in this film, uh, you know, the, the destruction, the, the lives that they ruin, it, it's quite awful. 
um, and definitely uh, had like a, a lasting impact on me in the sense that I was watching it thinking, what the fuck? Like this just doesn't work for me. Um, and overall, you know, the, the use of found footage, it definitely is a gimmick here because we shift between multiple camera angles um, and in the context of story we have a guy called Dax who's making a documentary well it's said to be a documentary um you know um highlighting this one night um you know the, for Thomas's birthday and that that's sort of what we're what we're following here uh and yeah it, you know we, we cut between you know kids cell phones um that there's a moment in the film where it's clearly Dax filming the cops arriving but then we get like a group a gratuitous underwater shot of women naked in the pool that's clearly not Dax's camera. So I don't know whose camera that is and why it's then edited into the film. We also have like diary sequences between this recurring gag of this kid who's security and he's having a feud with the guy across the street. It's it's a mess. And this is an example of where the found footage logic of what's happening, um, it's too hard to switch your brain off. And because the film isn't good, it just elevates that as well. And Project X, yeah, it, it's not a good film. Um, a film I remember liking, I saw it in the cinemas when it first came out and I own it on Blu-ray. I remember thinking I was a bit, you know, um, rebellious owning that one on Blu-ray, but yeah, yeah not a good film. Um, so now we jump to 2014. Uh, so jumping ahead a little bit again, um, and a film that I want to talk about and one I would definitely recommend, I've covered it before on the Spooktacular, um, not in review podcast format, but rather just as one of my quick snapshot reviews, and that is As Above, So Below. Now, what I enjoy about this film is more so the setting. I love the setting of the catacombs. It's truly creepy. I love the mysterious, uh, you know, um, explorer element. It's kind of got like an Indiana Jones vibe, which is cool. Um, the the scares and the idea of them descending into hell, you know, gradually progresses and gets creepier and creepier the further down in the catacombs they go. Um, and overall, yeah, it is a really entertaining film. Uh, one I've rewatched uh, quite a few times. Uh, I liked the found footage element of it. It works for me. It's consistent enough that I can work with it. Um, but yeah, this is a really, really good entry um, and one I want to talk about on the podcast and go into a bit of a explained um, podcast down the track. So I won't get into too much, but that's definitely a recommendation of mine. Uh, then we cut to 2015. Now, 2015 had a couple of releases I wanted to mention. Um, the first being Unfriended. Now, this is technically a 2014 release, but didn't get a cinematic release until 2015. So that's why I'm counting it in 2015 um, in, in the genre um, and this timeline. So uh, this film was produced by Timur um, Bekmerbetov and Jason Blum. Um, but what I wanted to bring up about Timur is that he also produced uh, the uh, another film in um, 2018 called Searching, which I'll speak briefly about as well. Um, but this launched an, a, a subgenre within the subgenre and that is the idea of a POV film shot entirely from the perspective of a computer. Now, it's not flawless. It has its issues. But at the time, it was quite interesting and it employs some really interesting filmmaking techniques. Um, so we're, we're seeing it from our protagonist's computer screen. Um, uh, her name is Blair. 
Um, and we're essentially watching what Blair sees in the film. So, um, you know, we see her screen um, and we get some really interesting character development of what she's thinking and what she's going through at the time. And it felt realistic enough in the circumstances, you know, not the supernatural element, but the idea that she was typing messages to her friends but backspacing them because she didn't agree um, with the, uh, what, the, what she was typing or she had a change of mind, but it, it showed her train of thought. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting and well-realised uh, um, idea, and I, I thought that actually really worked for me. Um, I also liked, um, you know, the, the little details, the idea that um, they actually paid for the rights to use Skype, Google, YouTube, uh, Facebook, um, just seeing those icons and not having, you know, like book face or, you know, something um, as a you know, a replacement because they wouldn't splurge and spend the, the money on the rights um, for the film. You know, uh, that that kind of thing uh, irritates me when it's it's not done properly. So I appreciate those little details of them actually spending the money and doing that. Um, like I said, Unfriended has its issues. Um, and I remember going to see this in a pretty packed cinema with all my friends during university. And it was a great time. Um, I haven't rewatched it in quite some time. Um, probably 2018 again um, when uh, Unfriended Dark Web came out. A film that I don't love, but I, I appreciate still. And it's still quite creepy um, because it feels like it's kind of more real. Um, it's not supernatural in the slightest. It uh, follows um, the black market and the dark web, which was interesting and, and foreign to me at the time. So I thought that that was pretty cool to see that film. Um, but yeah, Unfriended is worth your time. Um, it, it's creepy, suitably creepy, um, and it's unique. And again, launched its own subgenre of POV, computer-based found footage films, um, which for better or for worse, it, it's out there. Um, now, in 2015, we also had a film that had been shelved for a number of years um, called Area 51. Now, why am I talking about Area 51? Because this is a film that a lot of people can't see. Um, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. You have to pay for it, though. It's not included in your subscription. I own it on physical media, probably one of the, the four people who actually do own the film. Um, but why do I want to talk about this film? Well... The reason I want to talk about Area 51 is because Blumhouse uh, at the time wanted to re-team with Oren Pelly, uh, the director of Paranormal Activity, to get him to push another franchise because Paranormal Activity was run and dry. Um, so they were like, what can we do with uh, the found footage genre? Oh, we haven't done Aliens yet, so let's do something with Aliens. Um, so we get a group of people who are, uh, you know, events set them out on, on a, a bit of a quest and they're essentially, um, they, they go to Area 51, zaniness ensues, and um, the film ends. Uh, the film has a really boring setup with quite unlikable characters, um, but it was really interesting in the sense that the film, you know, um, after they gave Oren Pelly a bit of money, said, you know, make something interesting, this is what he does, and people are like, okay, he's kind of a one-and-done one and done kind of guy. Um, but I kind of like Area 51. Uh, it's probably the, the intrigue of Aliens and Area 51 in general that keeps me interested. The film has a legitimately uh, frightening and visually arresting final act. Uh, the last 10 minutes of this film are quite frightening um, and definitely get to you. 
especially if you're watching it late at night, which was I, I pulled an all nighter after I saw this film because um, it was a weekend and it was like two o'clock and I was like, I'm still not tired. What are we watching? And I clicked on it. Um, it was only like three years ago. Um, and I watched it on, on um, I think it was on Netflix at the time. Um, and I've since been able to track down a copy because I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind owning this. Um, and, you know, uh, Blumhouse in all, all their attempts to bury the film, there's still a couple of DVD copies out there. So maybe scour eBay or have a look on Amazon um, and see what you can find. But, yeah, interesting film. Um, it, it is very boring at the start in particular because the characters are so unlikable. Um, but I think they were hoping that this would, you know, um, this would revive the genre because at the time, um, we'd seen a number of flops in 2015. Another one I, I hadn't mentioned, um, was the gallows. We, we got the gallows, um, which was new line cinema attempting to, to bring found footage as well. They were sort of hoping, I think for a, um, you know, for a bit of a, a horror resurgence or maybe, um, you know, a new killer. We had the hangman. Um, was he going to be up there with, you know, Jason and Freddie? Not even close. Uh, the, the gallows is pretty bad. It has one interesting idea, and that is that there's two camera perspectives. So um, when the characters get split up, we get one character who's filming um, and we see their point of view, and then we see the point of view then from the, the second camera, which is a really cool concept, but it's just not used at all to its its full benefit in this film because the film's really boring, has a very cliched ending, um, and is very predictable. Uh, the Gallows got a sequel in 2019 called The Gallows to the Second Act, um, which goes batshit insane. Um, it is a weird fucking movie, and it's crazy that it exists. Um, I actually probably prefer The Gallows 2 over the first one, but you need the first one to understand what happens in the second one. Um, but yeah, really weird way to take the, the f- franchise. Um, it was dead and done after the first one because it flopped majorly at the box office. Um, so yeah, 2015 kind of saw the death of found footage. We have flop after flop and nothing was working. Um, then we get in 2017 Phoenix Forgotten, which I've also covered before, a film I would recommend if you haven't seen it already. Um, Phoenix Forgotten is quite enjoyable, but... Definitely has its issues, which I've covered in my podcast review of it, but flopped majorly at the box office as well. Um, so, yeah, the, the the genre looked like it was dead. Um, and then we got Searching in 2018. Now, I really like Searching. Um, it's hinged off a wonderful performance by John Cho. Um, we also get Deborah Messing. Um, it was nice to see her again, but it's John Cho um, in this film. He, he does the heavy lifting. And he does a really, really good job. Um, Searching um, is, again, a POV um, computer-based um, film. Um, and essentially, we follow a father whose um, whose daughter has uh, disappeared. And he's searching using um, her computer to find out where she's gone, what's happening. And we're sort of just shot from his perspective. Um, so we get him um, essentially just trying to solve the disappearance of his daughter, um, this is a really good film. Um, outside of it being a uh, found footage film, it is just a solid film um, and stands up there with one of the best thrillers of that year and one of my favourite films of that year too. I still enjoy Cloverfield probably slightly more on a rewatchability basis, but Searching just has a lot going for it. Um, and like I said, it, it's hinged off that that one performance by John Cho. 
if Cho's not good, then the film's not good. Um, but uh, director Anish Chaganti directed this film um, and he went on to direct Run, which I've also covered on the podcast. Um, but yeah, he's a really solid filmmaker and this is a really good looking film pr- produced again by um, Timur. Um, and yeah, just a, a really solid film. Um, really like searching and one of my big recommendations. It's a thriller. It's not a horror film. Um, so it probably doesn't belong in Halloween, but it's still a very entertaining film and definitely worth your time. Now we're sort of running dry on found footage. We didn't have anything then for another couple of years until we got to host in 2020. Another film I've covered on the podcast, uh, directed by Rob Savage and filmed um, and, and produced entirely during COVID. Um, again, a, a POV shot um, Zoom film. Um, the, a group of friends get together during COVID and film a, um, I guess, them um, on a Skype call uh, trying to do a seance. The film is gleefully short at 57 minutes, um, but is genuinely terrifying and is a testament to, to solid filmmaking. Rob Savage does a really good job here making a film that holds up quite well. It's easy to watch. It goes for an hour, so very easy to get through. Um but yeah, it definitely has its moments. It is a, a creepy-ass film and a film I actually really, really enjoyed. Um, and yeah, that's all I've really got to say about it. Um, Rob Savage then followed up his uh, 2020 success with Dashcam, uh, which was released this year, a film that I've only watched recently. Um, I had to pick this one up on DVD because, again, didn't get a Blu-ray release. Um, Rob Savage this time teamed up with uh, Jason Blum from Blumhouse, and, uh, yeah, the film isn't great. It's still well made. Rob Savage has a real knack for using um, different camera angles and using the technology to his advantage. Uh, this film being shot through a dash cam, um, which is interesting enough. But the protagonist in this film, and I, I'm saying this just because, you know, like I, it's nothing against um, the actress. She She's doing what she's told to do in this film. But her... Being her, her, her existence. Um, she is fucking awful. She is truly awful. Um, just an awful person, really hard to get behind. Um, yeah, just someone who I really fucking hate. Uh, and yeah, this is a film that, uh, yeah, it's you know, it goes off that performance. You either are on board or you're not. I wasn't, I just couldn't get behind her. I couldn't get behind the situation. I wanted bad things to happen to her because she's so fucking annoying. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, that is, that, that is the film. It, it, it's hinged off that performance. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's it. I, I might cover dash cam down the track, but yeah, it's, it's hard to get through now. A film that I did gloss over, um, and I didn't give, um, any attention to, um, which I, I probably should have, and I, I'm leaving this recommendation, uh, to last, and that is Spree, um, the, the 2020 filmed, um, film, Starring Joe Keery. Now, this is a film that you can get on DVD in Australia, which is good, um, so you don't have to import it. Um, but essentially following a very similar character to what we have in Dashcam, but a character who um, is essentially, he wants to become Instagram famous. He wants to he wants to get views. Um, he wants to be an influencer. So he goes on a spree, a killing spree, um, as an Uber driver, and um, we follow his debauchery through this one night. Um, I like films that are set over a very distinct period of time, host being one of them. 
And Spree follows it that that very similarly. And I guess what's different here is that Joe Keery is a very likable actor. His character is quite grating as well. But because of his charisma and we're sort of behind him a little more than what this character could have been, again, um, no way condoning what he does in the film. Um, what he's doing is fucking horrible and his reasoning for doing it um, is unhinged and awful. But at the same time, I, it does make for quality viewing. Um, this is an entertaining film. Uh, a film that didn't get nearly enough attention when it came out. It, it definitely should have been on more people's lists. Um, but it's a film I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, and was quite surprised when it when it was released. I was like, I was not expecting this. Um, so Spree, yeah, good film. Now I'm going to rattle off a list of, of movies. Um, these are other found footage films that came out that I've seen. And I'm just going to give you really quick thoughts on them. So let's talk about Devil's Do. Um, outside of this film actually launching the careers of some of my favourite filmmakers working in the horror genre at the moment, that is the crew behind um, Ready, uh, Ready or Not and Scream. Devil's Do sucks. It is just run-of-the-mill terrible horror um, and was buried for good reason. Um, we also have uh, The Pyramid, uh, a film that has a really cool setting. Um, we are essentially following, you know, um, uh, this crew as they, they enter the pyramids. Um, and that was genuinely an interesting setup. There's a really good article on Bloody Disgusting trying to defend this film. Give it a read. It might sway your opinions, but for me, it just doesn't do it. This is another film. Um, this was made by 20th Century Fox, and they buried the shit out of this film. It got panned by critics. I think it's like a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, and it made nothing at the box office. Um, you can barely find this film. I, I was trying to track down a DVD copy of it because I hadn't seen it Um I can't even remember where I saw it. I'm probably I, I probably torrented it. Maybe I don't know. Um, you know, back in high school, I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, the pyramids awful. Just a terrible, terrible film. Um, we have the Devil Inside. Uh, this film made a shit ton of money, um, but it is awful um, and not worth your time. It has literally doesn't have an ending. The film just ends, um, but it, it's not an ending. Um, it, it's a shocking film. Um, based on a real 911 call, um, but everything else is made up during the film and it is really, really bad. Um, and then to finish off uh, this, um, I guess, um, I, I've got a couple others that I'm going to mention. Um, we have The House That October Built, um, a, a fun, um, more of a mockumentary-style film, similar to Lake Mungo, which I've covered before. I don't really count these as found footage. Mockumentary sort of stands in its own genre. But The House That October Built is quite entertaining and worth your time. It's very interesting and well done. Um, we also have uh, Blair Witch, uh, the 2016 um, sequel, um, legacy sequel, reboot, whatever the fuck you want to call it. It tried to bring back that viral marketing sensation of the first film. Uh, the film was marketed as The Woods, um, and I remember watching the first trailer for The Woods and thinking, why is Adam Wingarden making this movie? He is so much better than this. If you haven't seen The Guest or You're Next, you know, the dude has talents just oozing out of him. He's a fantastic filmmaker. Um, him and his writing buddy, Simon Barrett, they've done some really interesting things. Um, and I was kind of hoping, you know, that 
them doing, you know, a found footage film, it could be fun. And I love the setting of the woods. I, I think it's a really creepy setting. It's been done to death. Um, but if it's done right, it can be really creepy. Um, and then it was revealed at Comic-Con in 2016 that it's actually a Blair Witch sequel and it's coming out in a month. And Everyone lost their minds and like, oh, you know, oh, this is going to be great. None of these people came out to actually see the movie because it flopped majorly at the box office. I think it pulled in like $15 million. Um, off like a $5 million budget, so it barely made its money back um, and was just panned by critics. It had like a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and there are some ideas here, again, that I really like. I, I really love the way that it's shot. Uh, it's a really good-looking found footage film. Uh, it's got some really nice cinematography. Um, the sound design in the film is awesome. Um, great to watch in surround sound, which is the way I did it for the first time. Um, but, yeah, outside of that, it's a really really bad movie um just has you know again unlikable characters um a, a setting in a storyline that doesn't really make a lot of sense um and overall it's just a really grating film um a, a term that i've used a lot during this podcast uh but yeah blair witch is fun if you want to follow up to the first blair witch film then it's interesting from that perspective but it doesn't feel like it's from the same universe because it's so so blatant and so loud um, and what I mean by that is, like I mentioned at the very start of this podcast, the Blair Witch Project is edged off the fact that it is so subtle and it's the subtleties that make the film scary. Blair Witch 2016 is the complete opposite of that. It's a literally a polar opposite. It's full of jump scares, really loud noises. There's no subtlety at all. Um, and then we get like a really convoluted ending that you know, ask more questions than it bloody answers, and it, yeah, it, it's it's a mess. Um, but if you're a fan of the Blair Witch uh, mythos, which I am, um, it, it's worth a check out just from that perspective. But yeah, you know, it's it is what it is. So guys, that are that are that are that is the end of this episode. That that is my thoughts on the found footage genre. Um, essentially, I, I, I like it. I, I think it can be really interesting if it's done right. But I feel like every idea has been done at this point. So it really then is, you know, do we have good characters? Do we have an interesting story? Um, I think there's another Paranormal Activity film coming out, and I don't know if it will be continuing the events of Next of Kin, um, that film releasing straight to Disney, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus. Um, and, yeah, it... it I don't know if it made waves because we don't know with streaming content if it's doing well or if it's not. Um, Netflix seems to be the only one who's cancelling anything. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. So maybe if we get another sequel, um, it could be good. But, um, yeah, need good characters, need an interesting setting um, because all the techniques have been done to death at this point. So we just need something different. Um, but, yeah, that, that that's my thoughts, guys. I I feel like... Uh, you know, if you if you aren't into the genre because, you know, it's a little creepier than what your average horror film is just because it does feel like you are, you know, peering, like peering into a certain situation, um, then maybe the genre is not for you. I, I definitely wouldn't recommend this to pe- this genre of, of film um, to people who aren't after, you know, like a, or they're not used to it, that they're not used to this type of, you know, film. Um, but I would recommend it um, to horror fans, but horror fans have probably already seen this. So maybe it's just me blabbing on for, for 50 odd minutes. Who knows? 
Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot to like. Um, and outside of the horror genre, you know, you've got Cloverfield, Chronicle, and um, uh, actually one I didn't talk about too, which is Project Almanac, um, produced by Michael Bay. Um, but, you know, it's fun. It's like a time travel film. Um, it's more kid-friendly. Earth to Echo is another one as well that has found footage elements. Um, the, the Dinosaur Project, another one I didn't talk about, but, you know, films that I don't, I don't particularly like. Um, but, yeah, I, another film too, I guess, I, I should mention is Wreck. Um, the 2000 and... Um, I think it was 2006 um, Spanish film. Um, and... Wreck, 2007, sorry, I was off by a year. Um, Wreck is really good. Um, Wreck is a film that has its moments, um, a film that I I quite like. Um, it's American remake, Quarantine is fine. It's literally a shot-for-shot shot remake, so if you're not into watching a foreign film, um, definitely check out Quarantine because it's the same thing, essentially. Um, there's a few subtle differences, but... Um, Wreck is really good, and Wreck, I guess, helped cement the found footage genre in, in 2007 because, you know, Cloverfield came out a year later, um, but that and Paranormal Activity, you know, were two really solid films at that time um, that definitely had, you know, a lot of financial and critical acclaim. Uh, but, yeah, Wreck's good as well. Um, but, yeah, you know, guys, like, that, there's films out there that aren't, aren't in that genre, Chronicle, Cloverfield, and... Uh, searching, they're not they're not horror films, but they're found footage films, and they're worth your time. Um, definitely check them out if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, Halloween season has kicked off, and I've got a lot of great content coming at you very shortly. So look forward to more reviews coming very shortly. Um, yeah, but until next time, guys, peace out. up every stitch You've got to pick up every stitch You've got to pick up every stitch Ooh, Must be the season of the wind Must be the season of the wind yeah. Must be the season of the wind